Thank you, young people. I appreciate their work this week and leading us in worship today. Uh, thank you, Skyler and and uh, Jeff, who works with them. They they have band practice every Wednesday over there before their worship time. And uh, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. We'll take your copy of God's Word and go with me to First John chapter five, verse nine. The uh, epistle of John at the end, First John in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. I want us to think for a few minutes this morning in our time about, about undeniable evidence, indisputable evidence uh, that John speaks about in this passage. The Bible is a wonderful book. Uh, I know there are many people who are, who are saved and uh, many Christians who don't spend nearly enough time reading the Bible. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I mean, it, it can change your life and how you live and how you see the world. And as Christians, we, we desperately need a solid biblical worldview to make decisions as we go through life and to interpret what we see. Uh, in this passage in particular, we find that uh, when we read the Bible, the Bible reveals to us uh, the characteristics of God, the character of God, if you will. And there are many. But I want to hone in on two in this passage to think about for a few minutes this morning. Number one, God is a God of justice. He's just. And at the same time that he's a God of justice, he's a God of mercy. And so we find the evidence of both of these uh, in our passage this morning. Let's think for a moment first about justice. What do we mean when we say that God is a God of, of justice? Well, it means that he's righteous in all of his judgments. It means that what he determines to be right and what he determines to be wrong is just. It is right and it is wrong. It's his law. And when we, when we think about God's justice, we can really see it in three things in the Bible. And the first is the giving of the law. You go to the Old Testament and God gave Israel the law and you can find it really in the first five books of the Old Testament. God spelled out for Israel uh, moral issues and what's morally right and wrong and ethically what's right and wrong and God in the in the items in the law that he didn't deal with specifically about about specifically identifying what's right and wrong he gave us moral principles based on love and mercy and compassion where we interact with one another and we love one another and those those moral laws of the Old Testament are timeless in other words you have ceremonial law in the Old Testament that ended with Judaism and the practices of the Old Testament and sacrificial system. But the moral laws, the moral law that God gave in the Old Testament is timeless and it is just as applicable today uh, as it was in the Old Testament. Now, God has clearly defined in many areas of life what is clearly right and what is clearly wrong. In society today, we like to think of truth and ethical conduct as, as subjective, meaning it is whatever people feel like it is. Uh, and that, that is leading many people into error and, and on their way to hell. Truth is, is objective. Uh, God has morally told us what's right and wrong in many areas of life. In fact, God has given us all what we call a conscience. Uh, we are created in the image of God. And so when we read the Bible or we hear the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit's in the world today bearing witness to the truth of God's law. And so really we have, we have a, a choice today. We can receive God's perfect revelation of his law or we can reject it. And so God is a God of justice and he's given us a law. And secondly, when God judges, we find in the Bible that when God, uh, when judgment day comes and when God adjudicates a case, he does it fairly because he's a God of justice. He does it with proof. 
we find out in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 20, really in verse 12, that God has books in heaven. They're books plural, meaning many of them. And what those books are for is God, think about this now, God records everything in heaven. He records everything. Now, uh, you know, when we think of books, there's some angel with the little green thing over his head and he's, you know, writing as fast as he can under everybody's name. Uh, but the fact is, God records every, every thought, every word, every intent of the heart. God records it. And he records our sin. Now, for those who get saved, here's the good news. You ready? When you get saved, your sin's blotted out by the blood of Christ. It's, it's no longer the account settled, so we're no longer... Uh, held for those sins they're paid for and God removes them from our account and lays on our account the righteousness of Christ. But for those who are lost, those who reject Jesus, God is recording all those sins because one day the person who rejects Christ, the person who rejects God's law, the person who rejects righteousness and holiness and pursues sin and does their own thing and, and thinks they know better than God, they're gonna end up standing in front of God at the great white throne judgment. And those books are gonna be opened. And when God judges, it's gonna be in accord to the evidence. God's fair. The judgment is gonna be in accord with the evidence. Now, I believe the Bible teaches this. There are various degrees of punishment in hell. Hell is hell, the lake of fire will be the lake of fire, but there are varying degrees of punishment. Jesus said those who, uh, those who knew much and rejected are worthy of more stripes than those who knew less. And so there'll be different degrees of punishment. In fact, I think Hitler's gonna be in a really hot part of the lake of fire, uh, and there'll be people who are extremely wicked who will be punished. Why? Because God's just. He's fair, even in his judgment, okay? And, and then finally, and I kind of alluded to it just now, God is, God is fair in the proportion of punishment, meaning those various degrees of punishment in hell are based on a person's actions, based on their choices and based on what they did. And so God judges specifically for those sins. Now here's the best part, I think, of the character of God. Justice is wonderful, but I don't want justice, I want mercy, okay? Because if I had justice, we'd all be doomed, right? I mean, justice means I get what, I, what I've deserved, which would be judgment. But the wonderful thing we find in the Bible is that God is merciful. And God is gracious in that he loves us. And I particularly, I like this passage in 1 Timothy. Paul said this, 1 Timothy 4, 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now listen to this. Who desires all men to be saved. God is a merciful God. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know who he is. And he wants to save us. God loves us. God has expressed his grace to us and his mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. And God offers to the whole world. He offers to you online. He offers to the people in this room today full and free pardon of sin for anybody who will come and ask him. Anybody who will confess, anybody who will put their faith in Jesus. Now, that's the character of God. He's a God of justice and he's a God of mercy. In our passage today, beginning in verse nine, John really hones in on the fact that there is irrefutable evidence, undeniable evidence of the character of God and our responsibility to respond to what he's revealed. So now look at verse nine of 1 John chapter five as he begins to speak about, about the evidence of God and his justice and his mercy. He said, if we receive the witness of men, 
the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which we have testified of his son. Now, John begins in our thoughts this morning, speaking about the value of witnesses, the value of evidence. He's saying here that, that witnesses and evidence are very valuable. We, we know this in our own uh, court system today, in our own judicial system. Uh, Bill was just telling me he's called for jury duty this week and Miss Kim just had it and so I'm probably gonna get a letter soon. I'll have good jury duty because it's just going around. But the fact is in our legal system, in our judicial system, uh, people go in and they sit in a jury box and they listen to witnesses give testimony in a trial uh, of what happened and they listen to witnesses and they observe evidence and, the, and it's the lawyer's job to bring out the evidence and why is all this process done? Why, is, why are witnesses called to the stand and, and, the, and to give their testimony and evidence presented? Because the end goal is to know the truth. The end goal is to be able to uh, adjudicate if a person is guilty or innocent and, and you do this through witnesses and through a process. And so what John says here is that these witnesses are essential to knowing the truth. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 17 and in, in chapter 19, God specifically said to Israel, no one can be condemned on the word of one person. It takes witnesses. Two or three people must give testimony before a person can be found guilty of a crime. Now, John said all that to say this, if man's witness and testimony is important, God's is greater. God's testimony is greater than man's testimony. He's simply pointing out that if the witness of men is sufficient to validate the truth, how much more is the testimony of God worthy to validate the truth? And he makes a good point. God validates the truth through his own testimony, through his own witness. God's witness is greater than the witness of men about sin and justice and grace. Well, what are the witnesses of God? Well, the witness of God pertains specifically to his son, Jesus Christ, who is whom John's been writing about. And so what testimony do we have about the person of Jesus Christ? Because that matters, that, that, that matters about everything, that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did what he said he did on the cross for us. So what are the testimonies? Well, number one, we have the testimony of the Father. In Matthew 3, 17, we talked about it last week, Jesus was baptized, began his ministry, and God the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and, he, and his glory shone out of his, out of his flesh, and the father spoke from heaven and told Peter and the others, be quiet and listen to my son. Jesus, Jesus, the son of God was testified to of the father that he is who he said he is. So we have the testimony of God, the father, and we have the testimony of God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, in John 15, 26, Jesus said this, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. You say, why are people today, Pastor, why are they without excuse before God the Father? Because God the Holy Spirit is in the world, convicting and convincing men and women of sin. God the Holy Spirit is in the world, convicting us to make right choices and convicting us to move from sin and come to God. The gospel's being preached in the world and it is the power of God and the salvation, the witness daily of the Holy Spirit in the world. And then finally, we have the testimony of the works of Christ himself. When Jesus was in the world, he did all kinds of miracles. He healed people. He preached with power. John 5, 36, Jesus said, but I have greater witnesses than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish the very works that I do bear witness in me that the Father has sent me. Listen, 
Jesus did great things in his ministry. The power of his preaching was different from anybody else. The miracles, the lives that he changed are all testimony to who he is. Now here's what that means for us today. If the witness of God is greater than the witness of men, and it is, then you and I are faced with a choice. Men and women today in the world must choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ. Now, when you make that choice, think about this. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is God. The evidence is overwhelming that he's the Savior. And so to make a logical choice, to make the, listen, to make the choice that the evidence points to, then you fall down before Jesus, you confess your sin, and you ask him to save you. It is only the hardness of men's hearts and their love for sin and their love to do what they want to do that keeps people from being saved, that keeps them from coming and accepting Christ. May I implore you to remember this morning, those who are watching online and you here today, God is a God of justice. And if you reject his mercy, if you reject his offer of grace, it leaves only judgment. It leaves only the justice against sin. You have a choice to make today. You have a choice to make in accepting or rejecting Christ. You have a choice today to turn away from the world and the foolishness of man and come to the truth of God that the evidence points to. Now, for those who accept Christ, John goes on to speak in verse 10. Notice what he says. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. This verse is wonderful. Let me begin by saying this. To simply believe the evidence, to believe what you hear as being true, is to be one step short of being saved. To be in agreement with truth doesn't mean you're saved. To be in agreement with truth simply is to agree that what's been said is right, which then is incumbent upon us to respond, to take action. Truth, listen, truth always requires action. Truth always requires a response. When I know the truth, then it becomes incumbent upon me to do the truth and not do the wrong. When I know a right choice, then it becomes incumbent upon me to choose to do right and choose to abstain from doing wrong. It is the same with Jesus. For you to say or for a person to say, well, I know about Jesus and I believe that he's the son of God does not save us. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God simply then requires a response that we come to God, that we confess our sin with a willingness to turn away from sin and have Him be our Lord and Savior. I would suggest to you there are many people today who have come to understand the truth of who God is, and yet they come short of being saved. They will not come. It should draw us to confess our sin and to ask God to save us. Tonight we're gonna to be in our, in our messages about the ministry of Jesus. We're gonna talk about Jesus calling his first disciples, specifically Peter and James and John. And in our message tonight, a little preview, uh, Peter's a fisherman. And Peter's been fishing all night and he ain't caught anything. And Jesus comes down, sits in his boat and teaches the crowd by the seashore. And when he gets done teaching, he says to Peter, hey, cast out there in the deep and throw out your net. Well, come back tonight, you'll find out that that was completely contrary to anything fishermen would do. They fished at night when the fish were closer to the shore. And Peter even said to them, Lord, we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. But because you said do it, I'm going to do it. And so, you know, Peter obeys and goes out. He throws out a net and, and he caught so many fish that he had to call uh, uh, James and John to bring their boats and their crews. And they filled up three boats full of fish almost to the point of sinking. 
And when Peter saw that, listen, Peter realized, again, the truth of who Jesus is, that only God could do that. And, and Peter fell down in his boat on his knees amidst all them fish and said, Lord, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. Now listen, that's the response. That's the response. When you see who Jesus is and you understand who he is and the truth of the witness and the testimony, it draws us to fall on our knees before him and say, God, I am a sinful man and I deserve to be judged. Your justice demands my soul be condemned forever because of my sin, but I want your mercy. And we cry out to God for mercy and he saves us. He forgives our sin and he gives us eternal life. Now here's the danger. <clears throat> I believe it's absolutely possible that people know all about church and that they know all about God and they know all about Christian stuff and they've sat through Sunday school classes their whole life and they know all the Bible stories and they believe them. They believe the flood and Abraham and they believe all the stories of the Bible, but they've never bowed the knee to Christ. They've never confessed their sin. They've never asked God to save their soul and be their Lord. They just know the stuff. They just know about it. They've listened to thousands of sermons. The story's told of a preacher who had a friend and his friend would come and attend church. And after a while, they were having breakfast or lunch together and his friend said to the preacher, he said, you know, when you first started preaching and I came to your church, it used to bother me every week. He said, now it doesn't bother me anymore. I just like coming. Well, that's a sad commentary because what's happened is he, he failed to bow the knee to Christ. He heard the truth, it convicted him, it bothered him but he didn't respond to it, and so he became cold to it, and he became a reprobate. Be careful that that doesn't happen in your life. Be careful that you don't come to a point where you know the truth so well that it doesn't bother you anymore. Where you know that this is sin, and this is right, and this is wrong, and this is right, and yet you choose to do wrong, and you continue to choose to do wrong, and you don't care. Because when you get to that point, you're in a dangerous place. I think there are a lot of people in the church that, today just that way. They're experts at being Christians on the outside, but they have no difference on the inside. Nothing has ever happened to their life. They've never confessed their sin. Nothing has ever happened. Listen, in this verse, he said, those who, who believe in Christ and are really saved, listen to this, they have the witness in themselves. You see that? The witness in themselves. What is that? The Holy Spirit. That you know Jesus Christ. If you, if you have no testimony in your own heart that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to get saved. Because the Holy Spirit gives you confidence beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a relationship with God. Sometimes I've had people ask me through the years, how do you know you're really saved? Well, I'll tell you two reasons. Number one, because God promised it, and that's enough. God said it and I believe it and that's done. But number two, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And I can see the difference. I can see the conviction. I can feel it. And I understand it. And when I read the Bible, God, the Holy Spirit, bears witness to me of the truth of the word and applies it to my heart. You don't need anybody on the outside to tell you you're saved if you're really saved because the Holy Spirit's inside of you saying, you're mine. And I saved you and I sealed you. Okay? So be careful today. Those who, who believe in Jesus don't just have an academic knowledge or some assent to the truth. They've, they've heard the truth 
and they've committed themselves to it, meaning they've responded to it. They've fallen before Christ, asked for his forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit bears witness. But then John speaks to those who do not believe. He says those who do not believe, watch this, have in essence called God a liar. Let that sink in for just a minute. Think about that. That man, that a, that a human being would be bold enough to stand in the face of God and say, I don't think you're telling me the truth. I think you're lying. Is that not what Satan did in the Garden of Eden? That's exactly what he did. He went to, he went to Eve and Adam and he convinced them that God wasn't telling them the truth, that God was somehow holding out on them. And that same sin permeates all of humanity today. And John said, those who reject Jesus call God a liar. Those who reject the evidence of who Jesus is and the testimony of God the Father and the Holy Spirit and his works are in essence calling God a liar. And listen to me, that is the height of blasphemy. There's nothing greater a person could do. In fact, I often, not often, but from time to time, somebody will say, Pastor, I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, my first answer is, if you're worried about it, you haven't, okay? And secondly, the unpardonable sin, I think, in its ultimate sense, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is to call God a liar and reject Jesus Christ. Why is that the unpardonable sin? Because there's no other offering that can pay for sin other than Jesus. And so if a person reaches that point, there's nothing can be done for them if they reject the only way to be saved. Now, after having talked about those who believe in the testimony and then those who don't believe, then John speaks to the essence of the Christian faith in verses 11 and 12. Look at it with me. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, what's John talking about? He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. And he's talking about eternal life. Well, let's, let's make sure we understand what he's saying here. There is eternal existence, which sometimes we confuse with eternal life, and the two are not the same. Eternal existence means to exist without end. Listen very carefully here. Every human being who comes into the world is endowed by God with eternal existence. When God created you in the womb and gave you a soul, your soul will live on forever somewhere. Your soul will never cease to exist. You say, well, what happens when people die? This body doesn't constitute our existence. This body constitutes animation in this life. But the soul of every human being is an eternal soul. The essence of who you are lives forever. The essence of who I am lives forever. My soul, my person, who I am, that's, that's housed in this body, will live forever somewhere. Eternal existence outside of Christ, listen, is not life. Eternal existence outside of Christ is just existence. Listen, this is serious. A person who dies without Jesus Christ and goes to the lake of fire, goes to hell and eventually into the lake of fire, they will exist forever. They will exist forever in a state of pain and suffering and torment and darkness. They will exist in reality just as real as us sitting in this room today. They will exist in, a, in an eternal existence of punishment. But now eternal life is different. Eternal life is different from eternal existence. You can have eternal existence just because God created us. 
But eternal life is only found in one place. Eternal life is found in Jesus. And, and when you say, well, what does it mean then to have life rather than existence? Well, one writer wrote it this way. Eternal life is therefore nothing other than the life of God himself. That's eternal life. John just said that our life, listen to what he said. God has given us eternal life and this life is in who? In his son, Jesus Christ. So eternal life is only for those who have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is only for those who are saved and in Jesus. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. What does it mean to have life in God? Well, it means, listen, it means to have God's life. It means to have what he is and who he is granted to us. Not that we become deity, not that, but that all that he is in his existence, he grants to us to enjoy. This is good stuff, listen. Eternal life is more than just eternal existence. You're not gonna get to heaven one day if you're a child of God, get issued a harp and a set of wings and sit out on a cloud somewhere learning how to play the thing for the next you know, billion years. And that's about how long it would take me to figure that out. <clears throat> no, 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 that's, that's, that's not how heaven is, not this ethereal, you know, ghostly uh, floating around in a cloud kind of thing, not at all. When it says that our life, our eternal life is in Jesus Christ, think about the attributes of God and we'll just do a few. God is absolutely holy. Holy to a degree that's, that's almost imperceptible by humanity because we're so sinful. When you get to heaven in your new resurrection body, when, when, when God finishes the redemption of us and giving us that new body and it's complete and we're in the new Jerusalem dwelling with him forever, you and I are gonna enjoy the absolute holiness of God. We'll be removed from even the vulnerability of sin. We'll be removed from any, any taint of sin, any temptation of sin. Won't that be great? To live in heaven and never be tempted to sin. Life here is a continual battle every day, isn't it? Life here is a battle every day against temptation and against thinking wrong and saying wrong. You know, sometimes people look at you and go, well, you're a pretty calm person. I go, you can't see what I'm thinking. I mean, because why? We're sinful and we're weak and, we, and, and in our minds and in our human uh, frailty and our sinfulness and our human nature, fallen and sinful, we battle with sin every day. That's why Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. If you're gonna stand any chance at all of living in this life, you better suit up every day spiritually or he's gonna whoop you to death during the day. Listen, when we get to heaven, perfect holiness for eternity. Now listen, that's life, not existence, that's life. Holiness and righteousness, here's another one. We talked about this several weeks in a row. One of the characteristics of God in the Bible is God is love, right? God is love. So what does that mean for eternal life in heaven? You say, well, I, I, I love my husband, I love my wife, I love my children, and there's some love in this world that's high. I, I'm not sure there's greater love than a parent has for their child or, or a, a spouse has for their mate, but particularly that love on earth grows over the years. You know, 40 years I've been married to Sherry and I love her more today than I did when I met her. And love changes over time and it gets more, it gets more better, okay? Let's just use bad, it just gets more better over time, right? But what, watch this, eternal life in heaven, God is love. And when we get to heaven and share in the, and share in the life of God, which is eternal life, we will, we will learn what love is perfected. And we'll be able to express it to one another. Think about this. I believe this is true. Now there's no marriage or giving of marriage in heaven. Jesus, Jesus said that. 
You say, well, what happens to my relationship with my spouse? And I've thought about that over the years, you know, studying the Bible. Well, if I'm not going to be married to Sherry in heaven, she's going to have to live in my mansion with me no matter what, okay? I don't, I don't care. She's got to live. I don't care if she has her own mansion. We're going to move in together. I don't think that's a sin in heaven, okay? We're going we're gonna to live together in heaven because she's been my, my wife this whole time on in earth, and I don't want to live with nobody else. But here's the deal. As much as I love her in this life and as much as you love your spouse or your children in this life, eternal life will give us the ability in our resurrection body to love to a degree we've never known before. And I would suggest that all human relationships in life now will be elevated to a place where they'll be enjoyed beyond anything we could know on earth. And so even in our marriage relationships, our relationships that we have with our spouses will be elevated in eternal life to be better than they are here. Now, that's hard to think about, isn't it? That, that, our, that our relationship in heaven, and it won't have to be in a marriage union, it'll be because we live in perfection, in eternal life, sinless, and we will live in the life of God, which is love, and we'll be able to love that way. This eternal life stuff sounded pretty good, isn't it? Sinlessness, perfect holiness, being able to love, and, and here's another one, and there's, I only did four, we could have did many. Let me give you another one real quick. The Bible says that in Jesus Christ now and that God brings peace to our lives. If you want peace, you got to know Jesus. This life's full of, of unrest, isn't it? It's full of difficulties and challenges and struggles in life every day. It's hard. But in heaven, in eternal life, the peace of God, we will know the peace of God in a way we can't know it in this life. We'll know the peace of God in a way that's, that's, that's beyond us in this life. In heaven, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no regret. Well, that'll be wonderful, isn't it? Do you not look back in your life and your heart's pained every now and then when you think of past, what I could have done, what I should have done, what could have been, what I did, what I didn't do, and there's regret. Even though we know we're forgiven, there's regret. In heaven, there's no regret. In heaven, there's no conflict, there's no disagreements, there's no anger, there's no wrath, there's no hatred. There's no animosity. There's no differences. In heaven, there's peace. Man has tried for all of his existence to enjoy peace, to have peace in life, to have peace in personal life, to have peace among people, among nations, and there's no peace. Why? Because there's sin. In heaven, there'll be perfect peace, eternal life of perfect peace. Finally, one more. The Bible says God is powerful that God, uh, God can do all things, he's omnipotent. Well, here's, here's some really good stuff, you ready? We could do this all morning, it's so good. In heaven, in eternal life, we're gonna enjoy no death. Death is abolished. Nobody's ever gonna die in heaven. Now we could stop right there, couldn't we? Because we have funerals in this life all the time. People are dying perpetually, why? Because sin's in the world. In heaven, there's no death, in heaven, there's no COVID, there's no sickness, there's no pandemics, there's no disease, there's nothing to harm us in heaven, just the power of God and life forever. There are no funerals in heaven. <clears throat> hey, I like this one. Nobody gets old in heaven. No wrinkles. I mean, I didn't think about this when I was young. You know, you would see, you know, I see my mom and dad and see people getting older. And when you're young, you don't think about any of that stuff. And man, sometimes I look in the mirror now and I go, what happened? I mean, what, you know, who, 
Who is that guy? I mean, you know, because you always see yourself as you've always seen yourself, uh, you know, young and, and vibrant and all. And then you look in the mirror and you go, wow, I don't have as much hair to comb anymore. I don't have to, you know, or as many teeth to brush or whatever the case may be. The point is in heaven, the power of God and, and his omnipotence, heaven is so that there's no death. There's no growing old. There's no sickness, no disease, no pain, or no hospitals in heaven, no doctor's offices. There's none of that stuff in heaven. Listen, there are no graveyards in heaven. No graveyards. That's eternal life. Listen to me. There's eternal existence, which is not eternal life. Eternal life is only available in one place, and that's in Jesus. Eternal life is only available in the Son of God, the Savior, and the evidence, listen to me, the evidence is overwhelming that he is who he said he is. God gives testimony to the Father that Jesus is who he said he is. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, gives testimony that Jesus Christ can forgive your sins and he'll save your soul. The very works of Jesus, the resurrection itself testifies that he is who he said he is. The evidence is overwhelming. Finally, John said in verse 12 again, and we'll close, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let me make two points and we'll close. Number one, he who believes in the Son, and I don't mean just believes academically, but has put their faith in Jesus Christ, those are present tense words, which means you have life right now. All of that stuff we just said that you have in Jesus Christ, it's yours if you're saved. Now it's not perfected yet because we're still in this body, but everything that Jesus promised you about eternal life, you have it right now, it's a present possession. It's just not fully realized until Jesus comes and we get our resurrection body. You want life, there's only one place to get it is Jesus, which is my final point. Notice that for John, now listen to this very carefully online, we'll close. Notice for John in this whole discussion about the evidence of who Jesus is, there's no room, there's no wiggle room here. It's one of two choices. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. It's either life in Jesus or death. It's either heaven in Jesus or eternal punishment. It's either mercy and grace in Jesus or it's justice. There's no middle ground. There's nowhere else to look. There's nobody else that can save. There's nobody else, no other way to have eternal life. No religious system, no moral ethical system, no political system, no church system. There's nothing that can bring life except Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground. What does that mean for you today? What does that mean for me? Well, it's very simple, not complicated, which is good, because then I can understand it. You're in one of two camps here today. Online, you're in one of two places. You either have eternal life in Jesus Christ right now, or you're lost. That's it. You're not almost saved, you're not a little bit lost, you're either saved or lost. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. You either have eternal life or you have eternal existence. Eternal existence is not gonna work out well for you because eternal existence in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever is gonna be really uncomfortable. Weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, darkness, separation from God. Why would you, why would you do that over sin? Why would you reject Jesus over sin in this world and everything here perishes? Why would you do that? See, in Jesus, you can be forgiven of all your sin. Those books in heaven, God will stamp paid in full. Won't have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. You can have eternal life. 
You can have all the joy of heaven, all that God wants to give you if you'll come to him. Your choice. You have to choose. I strongly, strongly encourage you to choose Jesus today. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, right now is a good time. Right now. In this room, in the balcony down here, right now. I can't see your heart. Maybe you, maybe you don't know you're going to heaven. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you are in love with some sin in this world, some choices that you're making. Can I implore you? Can I plead with you to come to Jesus today? Fall before him as Peter did. God, I'm a sinful man. Forgive me. Save me. Would you ask him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the overwhelming evidence of your word and the overwhelming evidence of your testimony and the Holy Spirit's testimony and the very life of Jesus that testifies to who he is. God, I believe there might be somebody in this room today, someone watching online and God, they, they're lost. They're lost in their sin and they're separated from you. But God, you would have all men to be saved. You love us. God, I pray right now that the lost might just bow their heart before you and say, God, I'm a sinner and I believe who you are. And God, not only do I believe it's true, but I turn from my sin and I ask you by faith to save me right now. Forgive me, save my soul. Lord, give me your life. And God, you'll save anybody who will ask. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If you need to be saved, if you have something that's bothering you, if I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse. I'll be glad to help you. Let's stand find myself or Bill or Jeff or one of us would be glad to talk with you about the Lord or, or minister to you any way we can. Uh, tonight uh, we're going to have uh, deacons meeting at 4 o'clock so deacons come to that if, if your schedule allows. Awana at 5 o'clock we're going to do Bible study at 6 o'clock the ministry of Christ or I gave you a little preview. We're going to talk about Peter and his fishing adventure and uh, what Jesus did in his life uh, and then uh, we're going to have the reception after uh, so busy afternoon I pray you can come back and be with us let's pray as we go thank you Father for uh, this morning and, and your word God help us touch us Lord if there's one here without Christ Lord one here who, uh, who needs to be saved God give them no rest today God make them miserable convict them Lord draw them I pray in Jesus name Amen